Hello and welcome to Best Comics Ever. I'm your host, Dave Buesen, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com, and I'm joined today again by Writer Supreme John Galati. We are here to talk about the best comics of 2019 so far. This is part two. If you missed part one, they are about books 20 through 12 on our list of the best 20. Today we're going to be talking about our 11 favorites of the year so far. So this is the real good stuff, even though obviously we liked what we talked about last week as well. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you doing? I am doing pretty well. I'll admit, you know, last week I, I said I made the mistake of doing this right after San Diego Comic-Con announcements, and I would say this week, potentially the mistake of doing this in what is now just House of X month here yeah. in, my, in my head. <laughs> it For is sure. all Hickman X-Men all the time. Um, did you get a chance to read the the first issue? No, I just grabbed it, and I've not had a chance to sit down and read it. But I've been watching all of the uh, the recommendations come in for like, is this a good starting point? Is this this other stuff? I'm like, we mm-hmm. just talked about it. Yeah, like, this is a great starting point. Of course, it, you should start there. <laughs> I so that's literally the question I'm answering in uh, the column that's going up on Comic Book Herald tomorrow. Because so many people have been asking, and i i take it I take it pretty seriously. I'm like, well. Because I, I do actually think, and you know what, we're going to talk about this because it, this book's on the best of 2019. Like, is there is there any universe where House of X and Powers of X isn't on isn't on the best of 2019 list, even <laughs> though it just started? No, I, I think maybe there's some kind of alternate hell world, or maybe Mojoverse. Maybe in the Mojoverse, <laughs> it's not on there. Good point. Because all 20 slots are Mojo. Maybe yeah. one is Spiral for her sideband. <laughs> right, maybe a long shot because Mojo's got you know a stake and, and a monetary claim in that as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Hickman X Men, it's super fun. House of X, like my my short answer is, I actually do think there's a ton of value in reading the other Hickman X, like the other Hickman Marvel Universe stuff. I think it sets up a lot of, like there's references, there are specific references. Um, there's small things, but they're there. But so much of it is just like tone and style mm. and approach. Like if you're first, let's say you haven't read a comic since like, I don't know, like let's just say Morrison's New X-Men. and Or, or even earlier, like 90s X-Men in particular. And this is your first book. And it's done the way Hickman does comics. I do think that's a little cold water in the that's face. That's a good point. You know? Maybe it's great. Maybe it's super refreshing. But for some people, it might be like, what is happening? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. I, I never got the sense that Hickman played with comic book tropes the way that, like, Alan Moore or Grant Morrison or the Deconstructivists did. No. So there's a part – I would be really curious to see if uh, a mature reader could – could pick up a Hickman book cold and follow what's going on. Yeah, I would. I would estimate generally yes, um, because I think I think we tend to like as a as a unit of people who have been reading comics for a long time tend to underestimate new readers and be like, <laughs> will oh, they yeah. know what panel to go to? You know, and like, and there's an element of that like when you're truly new. But I, I tend to think that that you know people pick up from context clues if they're if you're passionate and you're just like I want to do this. Um, there are degrees of of knowledge that I think people just have like throughout oh, the process. Sure. Yeah, for sure. But that's the type of analysis we're going to be doing for books that are actually on the list. <laughs> <laughs> so without further ado, let's get to what is number 11 on. And again, you can check out the best comics 2019 list that John and I did together on comicbookherald.com. I'll include a link in the show notes. Um, but also, if you just like, if you go to Comic Book Herald and search Best Comics 2019, if you just Google Best Comics 2019, you will find Comic Book Herald's list. But let's let's get into the first one. And John, I'm going to let you do this because this was your pick. 
It's another book that only has about an issue out. Uh, it's Sea of Stars. Oh, yeah. Sea of Stars uh, by Jason Aaron. Who I don't have it in front of me. Who's the illustrator on that one? It is. So it's co-written with Dennis Hollum, formerly, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the artist formerly known as Dennis Hopeless. And artists here are Stephen Green with Colors by Rico Renzi. So the the first and most obvious thing is that Stephen Green's artwork is incredible. It's yeah. it's beautiful and it's expansive. And it paints this really interesting world that I'm going to have to hit pause on for just a second to get to what Jason Aaron is doing this with uh, with Hopeless, who mm-hmm. that's the only name I've got for him. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it's a recent but, change. Yeah, it is. Uh, so the, the two writers on this one are telling this story about a father and son, I believe, who are out on a long trucking route out through space. And, you know, there's adventure, there's excitement, they get stranded, they get separated, classic stuff. But the way that it interacts with, um, with Green's artwork makes this really interesting juxtaposition in that it paints a universe that you really want to bring your child into and show them, to show them space whales and to show them shooting stars and whatnot, but also shows all of the aspects that you would never want them to see in a really clear and distinct way. And I've never, I can't remember another comic book where I've seen that work and that division so clearly. And that's kind of what I've been resonant with. Especially because Jason Aaron is known to be able to do some great father and child work. That his work on Thor shows that a lot. His work on Southern Bastards shows that in an interesting way. There's plenty of that all the way back in Scalp. So while we only have the one issue out, it is so gorgeous and it is so immediately arresting that I'm like, this this knocks it out for at least first issue of 2019, if yeah. not top top 10 series, I think. Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. I went and read it after you had included it on the list. I was going to I was gonna wait for like the first volume, but I did go back and read the first issue after I saw it here. And I, I definitely see what you're saying. I think the elements of it, it being a big space saga about fatherhood, essentially, and about mm-hmm. family is, is like very much up my alley right now. I actually <laughs> thought the piece of media that it connected most clearly to was like Finding Nemo. Like, like it's a Finding Nemo book. I can totally see that. <laughs> Which, as a parent who's been watching a lot of Finding Nemo, that might just be, like, <laughs> what is on my mind. Right. Um, but it's totally there. You know, it's it's the father who, it, with a, a young son, they recently lost, you know, the mom of the family, mm-hmm. it sounds like. And, and obviously, like, they get separated and are going to have to find each other. I think, to your point, what sets it apart is definitely the green and Renzi, the, the space landscapes, and yeah. sort of the... Monsters isn't even the right word, you know, but it's like these space beings that are out there, yeah. these giant things that seem to have unique personalities. Yeah, I think is fun. They're not just um, they're not just thoughtless beasts out in the wild. No, no so, definitely not. Yeah, so I'm super excited to see where it goes. Um, yeah, there's no question that like I'm going to be following this one closely for its first arc throughout 2019. Yeah, it definitely seems right up your alley. And I'll be mm-hmm. really happy to see uh, Jason Aaron take on some more celestial space opera kind of stuff because yeah. other than Star Wars, I can't think of what he's done. I mean, sort of sort of Thor fits into that, but that feels more Norse and old world than what we're going for here, you know? Yeah, yeah, I don't... Well, no, it, it does. I guess Aaron's Thor does get cosmic, especially yeah. when he's doing his future Thor stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say, so, you know, Jason Aaron obviously is a very big mar- or writer of Marvel right now. I mean, I like this first issue more than I've enjoyed his Avengers so far. Um, I do quite like his Thor series. I included War of the Realms 
as one of my favorites of like Marvel comics specifically. But I, I do think like if you're looking to get into some of his creator own work where Aaron has really thrived in a lot of ways, I think this is a great start. And I do think too, Dennis Hollum now, he's he's been a really good Marvel writer for a while. Definitely. Um, yeah, a lot of his work, I think it it's got that like, I don't know, like second tier, maybe third tier of like artist name recognition. Um, but the work usually hold often holds up to some of the best of what's coming out of Marvel. So it's interesting to see them co-writing together. Definitely. Cool. So next on the list is this one's been a favorite of mine since last year. It's Ice Cream Man by Image Comics. John, are you reading Ice Cream Man? No, I read the first trade when it came out and it mm-hmm. it didn't really hit me, but I was like yeah. I am I've been really excited because so many people are excited about it and so many young readers are getting into horror comics, which I love. I'm really happy to see it doing well. And it's one of those books that I I kind of want to try and get back into just to find out what it is I'm missing. Yeah, I you know, that's funny. I've heard that from a handful of people now that I've recommended it to with like with exuberance. And then they're like, yeah, I read the first trade and it's OK. And I I think I get that, actually, because I think a lot of my exuberance comes after those first four issues, mm. honestly, when so the creators here are W. Maxwell Prince and artist Martin Maraza, who I think is doing like some of the best works in in creator owned comics right now. Um, but once you get through the first arc, where it's like it's interesting horror, it's a very clearly like a Twilight Zone style. Every issue is a new thing, but they really start getting honestly even more experimental beyond mm. that point. In a way where okay, they're doing horror. They're doing Twilight Zone one-offs, but now they're doing this thing where every issue has the potential to be the coolest comic book structure idea I've seen all year. Okay, you got me. So it's so one issue that stands out in particular, there's two that stand out a lot. One is it's three panels, horizontal, stacked on top of each other is like every page layout, and each panel tells ostensibly like an alternate reality. So it's one story. But each panel, different decisions are made hmm. so that every page you get like the three versions of how this person's life could play out. It's brilliant and it's done super well. It's emotional with um, – and like and they, the way they use color to sort of tone which – okay, which decision tree are we on You know, okay. as you turn the page. It's just – it's got this approach where I'm just immediately like, oh, I haven't seen this done exactly like this in comics before. And I value that a lot. In comics in 2019, you That's know, fun. as people who, yeah, as people who read a lot of books, it's like, take chances, do interesting stuff. And even if it fails, I'm going to tend to be pretty, um, pretty like forgiving of, of the effort, essentially. Um, so Ice Cream Man, I think does that super well here in 2019. There's so the most recent issue, Ice Cream Man number 13, it's a comic book palindrome. Okay. So make of that what you will. Like, and that's what I'm saying. They're trying crazy ideas, and even if they don't work, I'm like, yeah, I'll. I would rather read somebody's Prince's and Marazzo's idea of what a comic book palindrome is versus the superhero story I've read 60 times. You know, like like that stuff stands out to me a lot. So, Ice Cream Man. This year, especially, they've gotten into like the actual cosmic mythology of of the characters in the book. So. There's the there's the titular ice cream man who is like he's this horror like mystifying creature that we don't know a lot about. And in the first trade you get a sense that like 
he's mysterious and evil, but we don't know anything about him. And in the, and now we're starting to get some like where he comes from, who his peers are in mm-hmm. like this cosmic pantheon, kinda. And it, I, we still don't have a ton of details, but it's kind of starting to feel like. I don't know, like multiversal old gods, almost like Kirby esque kind of like there's you know there's the good one and there's the bad like the the ice cream man might almost be our dark side. Wow, if that if that makes any sense, or actually maybe he's even like Calabac, okay, <laughs> dark side son. Um, so long story short, this book every every week it comes out. It's probably the one I'm most excited to read, at least on the image side of things. Um, I don't think it always hits. I don't think it always is like perfect. I think sometimes you get to the end and you're like, oh, that twist actually wasn't as good as I maybe hoped. Um, but it's always trying for that, and and that's super exciting to me. So I would I would say keep give it another shot. Give give the second volume a shot. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that sounds that sounds a lot more interesting than what I was kind of led to believe in the slow burn that they had to begin with. Mm-hmm. And to your point, like if somebody's making that kind of experimentation and having that kind of fun with the situation, I'm willing to forgive it being a little slow at points or something's not hitting perfectly like right it's way more interesting to get new ideas so i'll definitely pick that back up yeah and i could even honestly it's the type of book where i could even look and be like yeah you should do issue six you should do issue nine and like you're not gonna lose much by skipping around like you can go straight to you know the the killer experiments i think and it actually works yeah next on the list we have black badge and this is another one of my picks um, this is written by Matt Kent with art by Tyler Jenkins, colored by Hillary Jenkins. And this is so this is a creative partnership between Kent and Jenkins that now extends back to some other work they've done for Boom Studios. Um, the, the previous work they did together was called Grass Kings, which was 15 issues, I think it went for about um, it's like a literal like, I don't know, I pictured Oregon kind of green, like a community of people who all decide they're going to have this like off the grid not part of the American government system, but it's not really about that. That's just the the structure, but it's like a murder mystery within that community. Have you have you read any of the Kenton Jenkins works yet? Uh, I've read Mind Management, which I don't know. Was that both of them, or was that just Kent? It's, that's just Kent. So that's okay. that's Kent writing and drawing. Yeah. Uh, I did read the first issue of Black Badge because my wife picked it up when we were at Challengers a while ago. Mm. Um, but I haven't read anything in between that I can think of. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. I've I've liked this partnership. Um. I. So my management is one of my favorite comics ever, which is it's basically got me to anything Matt Kent is either writing or drawing. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna add that to the pull list. And Black Badge is is the continuation of the partnership with Jenkins, who has a pretty similar style, I would say, to Kent. It's these kind of gorgeous, lush, painterly um, like landscapes where it's less about you know the fine pencil detail of of a lot of what we see in comic book art and more about mood more about um, evoking emotions through color and through through landscape. I think Black Badge actually, for me, is an improvement over what Grass Kings was because it starts to refine that and the detail a little bit more. Because one of the challenges I have with that approach to art is it can be hard to know exactly what's happening, yeah. especially in action sequences. I think it can you can lose a lot there potentially. So I, I do think Jenkins kind of levels up here a little bit with Black Badge, all of which is is really a roundabout way of saying this is about secret government CIA style Boy Scouts. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like the Black Badge is a unit of Boy Scouts that go on top secret missions to like destabilize governments, to set up assassinations. <laughs> like it's all the <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> you, you okay there? Yeah, yeah. Swallowed something wrong. You're laughing or choking? Uh, both. <laughs> Couldn't tell. Both. <laughs> so Black Badge is is basically all the super secret spy stuff that people love. Um, but it it you know it's through like the lens of a Boy Scout team. It's like a team of four basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's got this sort of dark comedy to it, I think, because they're you know like one of the one of the kids in particular, the new guy, he's particularly into getting badges, you know, all the Boy Scout badges. So like his history is like he's gotten every badge possible, and then they tell him there's this secret other badge. It's the black badge, you know. It's oh, the no. one that like nobody tells you about, and that's what gets you into this this these crazy spy games. I love this book. I mean, honestly, like it, this could be my favorite of 2019. I think we're in that territory now where I could I can make a case for this being just my absolute favorite. I think if you like mind management and there are references to mind management within Black Badge, which I'm oh, kind of cool. like, ooh, shared universe. Yeah, that's fun. Um, if you like that, if you like Kent's work in the past, even some of his Valiant stuff, or if you just like the Boy Scouts and you want like a fun, wild Boy Scout thing, Black Badge is super highly recommended. Yep, yep. I really liked the first issue I read and I couldn't find the second yeah you know what it actually reminds me of too in the comic scene is a uh, deadly class i actually think they are okay. very comparable books um it's you know yeah it's like you're saying it's kids teens trapped in these very adult conspiracies and sort of seedy underbelly and trying to find their way out yeah definitely so next up on our list we have batman last night on earth john i'll let you take this one this is one that is one issue in but i know we're both super psyched about yeah uh so much good work is being done on batman right now and especially if you consider like from an alternate reality or an elseworld standpoint there's a lot of stuff going on that's neat from dark knights which felt a little bit like an elseworld to the white knight by sean murphy and now we've got this so at first when i saw this i thought it was i was a little concerned but yeah it has somehow gone off on this crazy tangent of building out this new post-apocalyptic world that Batman has woken up into as, I don't know, like a younger version of himself that they haven't fully explained yet. Yeah. Feels sort of like a cloning situation. But he wakes up in this uh, in this mental institute at the absolute end of the world beneath like a wasteland full of sand. And he has to get past Alfred, but also some kind of ersatz versions of his other villains. Like there's definitely a Bane in there. There's yeah. definitely um, a Jervis Titch in there. There's definitely a couple other characters. There's Harley, who's obviously in there. Um, so he fights his way out, and then he winds up picking up this sort of his own version of Virgil, which is just a Joker head in a containment unit that talks mm-hmm. to him. There's this core mystery of what has ended the world, and why does Bruce feel that he's responsible for it? And is this actual reality, or is this some kind of alternate reality version i was just gonna say it's the first time that uh, scott steiner and greg capolo have gotten to do batman and not and not necessarily had to worry about continuity mm-hmm. i think which which is why like because because even metal the event they did together which i'm over the moon about it gets completely it gets completely out there but it also takes care to set things up that are going to matter in dc continuity like scott snyder's still playing with those in his justice league written run right like it's a big part of what's happening in dc and this one allows them to say like Actually, we're just going to do every insane idea we've had and end the world yeah. and then put Batman in that scenario and and not super worry about the details or at least to like sort of unveil them as we go. I I was worried initially that it was just going to be like one of those Batman's in a psychiatric institute. And right. Is he really Batman? Is he Bruce Wayne? Has the whole thing been a dream? Because I feel like that's played out. Yeah. But that's like step one of 10. Yeah. 
And I think that that is super important because th- so this issue, it's one, it's a black label release. So it's part of DC's like, you know, mature out of continuity books. Um, it's 48 pages and it feels like, it feels like holding like a gold book in your hands. Like it, the book literally feels amazing uh, to sit down and read. So I, I can't wait for issues two and three. I think it's like the chance, again, this is another one of those where I'm like the chances of this not going down as a classic just seems so slim to my mind. Yeah, just the artistic talent that they've got on it, the fact that they are swinging this hard for the fences right now is impressive. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing that's been so interesting is I like seeing Scott write a Batman that has almost nothing to do. Like, the world has already ended. There's nothing for him to prevent. There's no yeah. bad guy for him to outsmart. I'll be interested to see where they take that character from that. Well, it's very, it seems very inspired by Mad Max Fury Road, specifically, Definitely. where, you know, Batman is the Tom Hardy character. And he's like, he's almost along for the ride. Like he's almost, uh, sometimes literally, yeah. you know, strapped to a car in, in Tom Hardy's case. But uh, but like, he's just kind of, he's waking up in this world. He doesn't know the details. He doesn't know the rules. And for Batman, that's like maddening. Mm-hmm. And he's still very much in Batman we know mode of, well, let's fix it. Let's, what is the problem? And here's how we will fix it. And he runs into characters throughout this. And I don't even spoil who. But, you know, DC Universe people who are like, no, it's too late for that. <laughs> like, you woke <laughs> up too late, basically. And now he's walking around the wastes with, with a Joker head. Cracking some, I, I gotta say, the Joker one-liners of the last, like, two to three years, like, the literal Joker jokes, mm-hmm. I feel like everyone's leveled up. They've gotten funnier. They've gotten better at him telling actual jokes. Yeah. The jokes in this are funny. Yeah, they're good. This has been a really good year for DC jokes that we'll get into with Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah. You're right. That's been an interesting uptake on that. Yeah. So Batman Last Night on Earth, I think, is if you're a Batman fan, if you're a Snyder and Capullo fan, um, if you're like a DC Universe fan, I think this one is is a must. Yeah. Speaking of DC Universe fans, next on the list, it's the Green Lantern. This is written by Grant Morrison with art by Liam Sharp. And it's one of the most interesting books of the year, no question. The other piece I'm writing for tomorrow is about like pre, pre-release approval ratings for comic book series. Mm-hmm. So the idea of like everyone in the world seemed like every comic book critic was just convinced and ecstatic about Hickman's X-Men. Like, the chances of that book coming out and anyone having a negative thing to say seemed almost <laughs> almost impossible, given how excited everyone was. And I feel like the last book that had something similar, or at least one of the contenders on my list, was literally any time Grant Morrison comes back to the DC Universe. So Green Lantern had it. I think when he was come back for Multiversity, it had it. And then um, what was the other one before that? Like Action Comics, New 52, because Morrison has such a, just like a pedigree with oh, yeah. with DC in particular. Now, Green Lantern is a little different because I it's got a feel of him going back to the Silver Age. But like with Batman, he went back to the Silver Age mm-hmm. for references and for ideas that I, I would say it felt like he modernized. Whereas here it feels like he's kind of just writing a Silver Age book almost. Yeah. What What's your take on, on this book so far? I definitely agree with that point. Like, I love Grant Morrison's reverence for DC Comics and for their, their larger pantheon, their Batman, Superman, now Green Lantern. I was really happy to hear him picking this one up, especially just because I felt like Green Lantern as a as a brand or whatever, had sort of stalled out with Jeff Johns. Yeah. Like, after Jeff Johns. Sorry. Johns' work is amazing. But after that, so many people kept just trying to make more Jeff Johns Green Lanterns that this Grant Morrison takeover was like the first fresh start we'd had in a while. Yes. 
And yeah, he's made this book that on the surface is truly a Silver Age book. Like Hal Jordan actually calls in for Grand Theft Planet at one point in time. <laughs> you know, one of his partners is a guy with a volcano head, like an active volcano on top of his shoulders. And like, and his dialogue is perpetually rumbling. Yes. Like volcanic magma. It's so <laughs> like, great. Like it's a quirk of the character. It's really fun. Yeah. It's so, it's such wonderful, like super age nonsense that I love it. But digging deeper into it, there's kind of this interesting story because I've been trying to figure out what he's telegraphing. And it feels like we're going to wind up having a question about how police forces worked in Silver Age comics, this overwhelming, overbearing authority that everyone just had to agree with, uh, yeah. in large part because of the Comics Code Authority. You know, this, this mandate that the police were always right, and what does that look like in an actual universe? And Hal, who has a history of being you know, a little bit um, a little bit problematic in terms of dealing with power. It's going to be real fascinating to see what happens uh, now that he's, so he's kind of leveling I thought up. It, and, so I think that the theory you have about going into Silver Age policing is extremely interesting. Um, I would love to see that. So I'm, I'm not totally caught up with this. I think there's like, what are we, like issue 11, 12? I think I've only that. read the first six at this point. I need to do a little catch up. I've, what I've seen so far is how, like, he's gone undercover. Mm-hmm. So the book and, and definitely the pitch for the book and, you know, the pre-release hype as it was coming out was like it's Hal Jordan, Green Lantern as a space cop and really leaning into, you know, Green Lanterns as the cops of the universe. I didn't I think the first two issues really hit that. Definitely the second issue, like it's an interrogation issue. You know, they got a criminal and they got him in the, the you know, they're booking him and they're doing all that stuff and playing good cop, bad cop with Green Lanterns. That stuff's interesting. The book then gets a bit more cosmic. Like the third issue is about like basically Hal Jordan yelling at God. <laughs> yeah, he punches him with a green uh, boxing glove at one point, which is amazing. Which, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so it, it's gotten out there. There's some Adam Strange stuff, which I love. Um, but it's all like kind of Hal's going now deep undercover, trying to unveil something. I don't see it yet getting to this this meta narrative about Silver Age police forces, but I'm really interested if it will if it will do that eventually. I think that's one of my biggest questions is like, I don't know where this is going, really. Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm scrambling around the dark. I think my idea for the, the commentary on police forces of the Silver Age was more about how issue three ended up. Mm-hmm. Also, maybe that's spoilers for people, but uh, the ending of issue three has Hal order his uh, fellow Green Lanterns to do something that's real questionably legal. Yeah. Like, right. probably illegal. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think I think let's save it for you and I are going to do a more expansive Green Lantern deep dive, I think, here in the coming weeks. So let's save it. I mean, I think big picture, the book looks great. I yeah. think Liam Sharp is an artist that, like, I'm glad a lot more people are paying attention to his art, but through through connections to, you know, Grant Morrison now. Um, I think he was he was a pretty recognizable name, but now he's going to have this extended run with Morrison, which is really going to elevate, which helps a lot. Um, and I, I don't know, I wasn't reading Batman as it came out. So I've always had Morrison's Batman specifically. So I've always had like the luxury of reading the whole thing, knowing it's a complete picture. Mm-hmm. And with Green Lantern, I don't know that yet. And it's, it's super exciting, but it's also like, I'm in the dark and I don't, I don't even really have a guess. So we're going to go more into Green Lantern, I think here in the coming weeks, because it's obviously going to be like good or bad. It's going to go down as a book that is discussed a lot. Absolutely. We've got Peter Can Thunderbolt. Five issue mini by Kieran Gillen and Casper Wingard. 
this is their, uh, for Dynamite Comics, it's taking the property, the character that Ozymandias was based on in Watchmen. It's using his his actual old real initial, the OG uh, Ozymandias, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, and it's doing a five-issue meditation on Watchmen, basically. Like, this is Gillen's senior thesis on, obviously, the most famous graphic novel of all time. John, did you read Peter Cannon Thunderbolt yet? I have not, no. Okay. So here's what I'll say about it. I think it's super fun and super interesting if you like Watchmen. Mm-hmm. If you if you like one of the most interesting, I would say, creative voices, creative writers in comics doing like their version of of analysis on the book through a story. You know, it's very like it's very comic book criticism in the weeds kind of in a lot of ways where it's like here's here's how Watchmen should influence comics today. And I think really what it comes to by the end of it, and the reason I'm dancing around it is because it's all like, the actual story almost doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's about how they reference the things that happen in Watchmen. And really what they're trying to say, I think, by the end of this book is comics should move beyond Watchmen. (laughs) Like, the book came out in 1986. It's been over 30 years. HBO is about to launch a new series, which is going to raise awareness for for the Watchmen universe even more, you know? Mm. And on one hand, I'm excited about that because it's my favorite comic book ever. I love Watchmen. Oh, it's a masterpiece. I, I make no bones about it. On the other hand, modern comics like and new stuff, I think what Gillen's doing is he's throwing down the gauntlet and saying, we need to have new ideas because it's 2019. And it's kind of funny because he's it's like there's an irony to it, you know? He's doing it in the throes of all Watchmen references. He's got nine panel layouts here and there. They're doing there's these sequences that Wingard puts together of panel layouts where it's the nine panel grid that mm-hmm. Watchmen obviously popularized to a lot of a lot of ways. Um, but it like it blows them up and they're like literally transporting characters across the page and they're you know, it's like the nine panel grid, like elevated and angled so they're moving from panel to panel i can't obviously it's one of those visual things that like you have to see it but the design ideas and the panel techniques and even some of the like the the character inversions of the popular like the rorschach Mm -hmm. um analog here is both funny and like clearly kind of a a commentary on like, hey, Rorschach wasn't the hero, guys. <laughs> like, yeah. like, hey, it's break to you. Um, but anyway, long story short, if you love Watchmen, you got to read Peter Kenneth Thunderbolt and and just see what two really good creators are doing in 2019 and what they're saying about the influence of that work. Is that in trade yet? Uh, if it's not, it probably will be soon. I think it ended somewhat earlier in the year. Yeah, so you can read that whole thing as is. And it's also one of those series where I, I wanted more. Like, I actually want, I actually, so that was like all reference type stuff. Now I actually want to see, well, what would your universe look like with these characters? You know, like you, okay, you made that challenge. Now do it Yeah, <laughs> for 12 issues. I would be very into that, but we'll see if that actually happens. So next on the list, we have The Wild Storm. This one is 24 issues that wrapped up this year. It's written by Warren Ellis with art by John Davis Hunt. You talk about artists that I've gotten into this year. John Davis Hunt on The Wild Storm is phenomenal. I love what he's been doing with this reboot of The Wild Storm universe. John, I feel like you're particularly well prepared to talk to this because I just put up your post on the complete Wildstorm uh, universe reading order, which is going up on Comic Book Herald, uh, if it's not up already by the time of release here. What did you think of of the rebooted Wildstorm? Speaking of like comic series that you have reverence for, I have such reverence for Warren Ellis' masterwork across uh, the original Wildstorm imprint. 
Starts with Stormwatch all the way up through Planetary and into Authority. Actually, I think mm-hmm. it's Authority and then Planetary. So he's got this big, long work that stretches out like a couple core ideas and just builds upon them and builds upon them. And it was a real tragedy when the series ended back in 2003, 2006, thereabouts. Um, so I'm, I was thrilled when I heard this was coming back, but I was also a little concerned because Warren's been out of comics for a little bit or not completely out, but sort of out. Yeah. Uh, but man, he picked up with some just crazy ideas. And I loved his, even his first issue where he brings in with um, Jenny Sparks and yeah. has the has the hand waving of what she's been doing for the past 20 years since her universe closed down. She's just been drunk. She's an immortal. <laughs> she's been drunk the entire time. And I'm like, this, right. this little sign is the sign that Warren Ellis has come back into the fold and is being crazy again. Yeah. So I love that. I love his expanse of it. I love the fact that he's going to go book by book to use the Wildstorm to expand. Grifter is next, and then I can't remember what's after that. But he's just ping-ponging from each one to mm-hmm. rebuild this universe, which is great. Well, I think what's cool about it, too, is they're they're taking their time mm-hmm. rebuilding the superhero universe, which is like Ellis is, I think, notorious at this point for now being a super superstar creator. Like, he can take his time and release yeah. things as he wants. So these 24 issues came out over the course of approximately two-plus years. And they honestly, and like they took breaks in between. And I actually love that. And there's not a gazillion tie-ins on the side. There's not a gazillion crossovers. Like it's pretty self-contained. There's a John Cray uh, or Michael Cray, excuse me, um, you know, mini that sort of spins out of this. But that's the only one. And otherwise, you can read these 24 issues without anything else and get a very complete story in a very complete universe i think it does an amazing job modernizing and Mm -hmm. and updating all the characters that like i have uh pretty limited knowledge of but i but i know like the authority mainstays or like apollo and midnighter have had a bigger run in dc comics in the dc universe of late and they all get updated but it's also like they don't rush to it you know ellison davis hunt they don't drop midnighter and apollo until like what two-thirds of the way through the entire series yeah they just kind of sneak in there yeah, yeah, which I think works really well. Mm-hmm. So I, I was not a huge Wildstorm fan, I'll say. I liked some of the stuff, but I wasn't like really into the universe. And now I'm gonna I'm pulling all this. Like everything new that comes out, I'm reading the day of because these these twenty four issues were awesome. Um it's one of the you know, I talked about Black Hammer in the last issue as like a superhero universe worth getting into. I would say the Wildstorm is is up there and then some, and probably a little bit easier in this reboot yeah, version because it's tighter. I think so. Ellis does such a great job of grounding stuff in either reality or sort of like 15 minutes into the future reality, Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is such an interesting trick that he pulled off here with the Wildstorm because his first series was all about crazy, cutting-edge, practically supernatural technology. Mm-hmm. And then to reboot it now when technology has gone so much further would mean he'd have to find some way to do it so that it wasn't looking back and cringing about the stuff we got wrong. Yeah. Like, and that's such a, like, I admire that so much. The fact that he took that risk and pulled it off is, to me, one of the, to me, that's as crazy as remaking Silver Age Green Lantern. Like, it is that (laughs) level of difficulty. Right, totally. Well, and there's a danger, too, of like, okay, we're going to reboot this, and we're going to bring in the guy who did it Mm -hmm. 20-plus years ago. There's a danger of that being like, uh, you're really just playing on nostalgia, and really what you want is you want somebody totally new with the crazy ideas of 20 years later. But what's so cool about Ellis as, like, a 
a mad scientist when it comes to <laughs> fictional concepts of technology is he just he he is that guy still like he updates those concepts himself so it doesn't feel dated in a way that it could if you were like hey who is who is big when uh you know in 1993 with death of the superman let's have them do a superman book right 30 years like it's not that type of yeah. a type of creative decision so next on the list speaking of updating things that are old <laughs> it's the immortal hulk which leans into the debut the silver age debut of stanley and jack kirby's hulk and the idea of Hulk as a a horror comic, essentially, is the hook. And also, like, the specific details of Lee and Kirby's early work on the book where, for example, the Hulk comes out at night and things like that. And it's alluing writing with art uh, frequently by Joe Bennett. This is, I think, our consensus favorite Marvel comic of, of probably the last two years. Um, it also feels like just a total critical consensus over that time as well everybody seems to love this book uh john what what are your what's your take on immortal hulk obviously i love it uh yeah. but the thing that i love the most was how much it changed the hulk in the way that i didn't know you could change the character yeah because we've seen so many different versions of hulk we've seen gray hulk we've seen doc green you know we've seen mr fix it we've seen all these different iterations so yeah. we've seen hulk become smarter and articulate but immortal hulk is probably smarter than banner and makes jokes and is fine being articulate. Mm -hmm. He even, you know, now it's very much Hulk is in control even when Banner is not in Hulk form. The way that it's kind of the tail wagging the dog is an interesting thing to see. Again, we've seen Hulks become stronger when they got angrier, but we've never seen one detached from anger and is just vengeful. You know, Immortal Hulk might be the strongest of the Hulks right now, and to see just as the way that he doesn't have to get psyched up, he doesn't have to get, you know, ra you know, raged out, he doesn't have to make mistakes and do all this blundering that the old Hulks used to do. No. Now he can just hold on to that anger until yeah. he gets to where he's going, and that's calculating and terrifying. I was I was going to use the word calculating. I think that's, that's exactly what it is. And it's also the book's really leaning into the immortal mm -hmm. aspect of this, and they repeat consistently that, like, he cannot die. So I think what that does in a lot of ways is it makes the Hulk almost scarier than when he's mad. Yeah. Like, when he's this big raging buffoon, it just makes him, like, he's a constant. And he's a constant calculating angry presence in the yeah. universe. And that's kind of scary. It also takes away, it. like, again, it undercuts Banner's outs. Mm -hmm. Like, there's always the thing hanging over of, like, you know, Bruce Banner feeling, like, kind of suicidal or, like, kind of questioning, you know, like, should I be here? Am I a danger to everyone around me? It almost takes that away because it's like, there's nothing you can do, Bruce. Hulk's here. Yeah. He's coming. And that works well. And I think, yeah, so, like, all that stuff I think works. I think the other thing that makes this book so cool is Ewing is – He's taking he's taking all that conceptual stuff, but then he's putting it in the context of like Hulk goes to hell type mm -hmm. stories, which are just inherently like supernatural and big and and fiery and a lot of times fun horror, you know. Yeah. Um. And he's doing that stuff that that is really playing with the Hulk universe. In I mean, this is a character Marvel struggled with since Planet Hulk. I think in a lot of ways, Agreed. like just like what do we do? With Hulk, you know, he, you know, not super recent spoiler. In 2016, they tried to kill him in, in Civil War II. Um, and that's the other thing I love about Ewing's approach to comics in general. He references all continuity all the time, heavily. He doesn't ignore it. 
He doesn't move on from it. He references it and builds on it. And as a continuity-obsessed person, I love that approach to Hulk. It really works. Like, there's sequences of him being like, here's what happened in Civil War II. Here's what happened in Secret Empire. (laughs) Whereas most writers would be like, I'm not touching that. Are you kidding me? Um, They touch it, and then they actually make it better. They, like, make it retroactively more interesting. Yeah, you know, they finally gave Hulk purpose, and part of that was just by having him have access to all that continuity. That if he knows all the times he's been screwed over, he's been chased by the military or whatever, it sort of makes sense that he's turned into this new bright green spirit of vengeance ghostwriter kind of idea. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that drove me nuts, honestly. It's kind of kind of not the point. But everything that's happened since Planet Hulk, like Hulk coming back to the Avengers, I'm like, <laughs> he should not be hanging out with Iron Man. No. He should not be in any way friendly. And like, they've had series where they sort of like joke about it. They're like, oh, that time you shot me into space. I'm like, no, <laughs> give me, give me, I'm never letting go of this Hulk again. Right. I want grudge Hulk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That is definitely what I'm into. (laughs) All right. So Mortal Hulk, obviously highly recommended. The next one's a little bit um, more under the radar. This is a pick from Vault Comics. It's my favorite Vault series of the year, and it's Fearscape. The last two issues came out in 2019. The first three came out in 2018. It's five issues, and it's done. This one is written by Ryan O'Sullivan with art by Andrea Moody. And uh, Fearscape is hard to explain, but I'm going to try it's in a lot of ways, it's about the creative process. And it's about someone, it's about muses and finding inspiration for creating something that is truly, truly excellent and original. What makes the book special is muses are real. It's like a supernatural, there's a supernatural fearscape where these entities, there's sort of a mythology of these, you know, influences and inspiration that live there. And what's really great about this book is the main character point of view character is an author named Henry Henry, and he is the most pretentious, obnoxious author you can possibly imagine. Like, he is the the English professor who is just so up his own behind with, with how smart he is that he is completely intolerable. But he's our point of view character. So he's telling the story, but he's like hiding details. And as the book progresses, there will be narrative captions where he, like, literally crosses things out so we can't see them because (laughs) he knows they're damaging to his version of event. So there's a thing here with, like, how a story is told and structure. I think the book actually opens with, like, it's all white and just captions. And it'll do this thing where it'll, like, it'll white out a character. So the panel will be colored backgrounds. It'll white out the character so you can't actually see the details. So it's like our POV Henry Henry is influencing what we're actually able to consume. Oh, that's and that's cool. really, yeah, it's really an interesting approach. Um, it's very, it's very meta, I think, in the way that it's trying to tell a story. And Henry Henry, even though I described him as just the absolute worst human being and character, he's also completely fascinating. I would read any number of issues with him as the narrator because he'll do this thing where he's like, He'll he'll write this flowery like James Joyceian and literally referencing like oh I'm writing like Ulysses right now and then in the next narrative caption he'll say oh what a tired trope writing referencing Joyce and Ulysses like he undercuts everything even as he's doing it it's infuriating but also just... I feel personally attacked <laughs> that's the thing because if I'm like John you would love this what yeah. am I saying about you yeah. you know what are you saying Dave <laughs> I know it's a hard one to recommend after I've explained it like that.
Now let me tell you about the Divine Comedy and Hulk. Let me do that. <laughs> right. I feel like my point's been made there. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but the, the smarts to it, I think, are, like, next level. So... I recommend everybody read Fearscape. It's I think it's actually like for me as an ex English major. I guess that never goes away. An English no. major, <laughs> I can't shake it. Uh, it's a total English major book, I think, and nice. I say that with the the fondest fondest regards. That sounds great. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Vault is is really doing some cool work right now. There's a lot of Vault series that I can oh, yeah. check out. And recommend. that sounds right up my pretentious alley. So all right, we're down to the top two. On the best of 2019 so far, the first one is The Return of Criminal 2019. You know, this one was not... So this one is basically my number one, and then I'm going to let you do the next one, which I think is kind of a shared number one. Um, This one was not as high on my list until I reread it, and I'm just like, Ed Brubaker and Steve Phillips, it's not a secret. They're two of like the best comics creators of the last decade, if not more. Criminal has been... like there's old criminal stories you can read from a decade ago that are some of my favorite comic books ever. It comes back in 2019. It almost feels too easy to call it one of the best comics of this year because it has such a legacy. And it's just like, yeah, we know, of course it's good. Um, it's like, it's like giving like LeBron James, the MVP, right. Or yeah. like, like Jordan towards his final seasons. It's like, it's almost too easy. You almost want to spice it up, but criminals that good, I think. And it's returning here in a way that it's referencing the history of the book and this legacy that Brubaker and Phillips have established, but it's doing so in a way that like, you don't have to have read those to understand. It's not like a super continuity heavy thing. It's just, if you know it, you'll know the characters and you'll know a little bit about it, but otherwise it's all noir. It's all crime. The second and third issues of this are they've been now recollected as an expanded hardcover graphic novel. It's called Bad Weekend, and it's about um, it's about comic book creators. It's about like a Jack Kirby esque, you know, still living creator who's like been spurned by the end. Not, Jack Kirby's a bad example because he would never get as bitter as the individual in it's this. Like a book. Steve Ditko or a... yeah, 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 totally. But like still a kind of a part of the industry and just like. It, just the anger they feel towards it, toward, but they've had such contributions and they just this iconic impact. I think Ed Brubaker in the backup has said that, you know, it's a combination of a lot of different comics folks that he has that he has known over the years. Long story short, it's like as a comics obsessed person, it is just like candy. Like it is everything that I love about about like again it's it's like the, th- the trope about you know oscar bait is like movies about hollywood you know as as once upon a time in hollywood comes out the new quentin tarantino movie like <laughs> clearly doing that and comics about the comics industry like it takes place at a convention is just like it, it's total, total oh that's fish in a barrel for me exactly so criminal 2019 is amazing everybody should check it out but let's let's talk a bit more about the next book on the list because this one's new and probably harder to explain <laughs> it's little bird and this one is an Image Comics series. It's five issues. The last issue came out, I think, just this month as we're recording here in July 2019. And I'm going to pull up the creator names because I, I want to get this right. Um, so Darcy Van Polgeest, apologies on a, a mispronunciation if it's there, and Ian Bertram on art are our creators of Little Bird. This one took me by surprise. John, it's your it's your MVP for the list. What do you have to say about Little Bird? Man. I, I was totally taken by surprise. I knew nothing about either of these people before I picked it up. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, it really feels like an old school uh, issue of heavy metal. Like mm. from when they were doing reprints of the European stories, 
um, you know, kind of around the, I want to say the Alan Grant years, but I could be could be mistaken. You know, it feels these really crazy kind of outsider art uh, lines to it, and the story that matches them is just like nothing else I've read in a while. It has this unique mythology to it, where that's the book itself tells the story of Little Bird who belongs to a tribe of the the kind of unconquered people of upper North America, somewhere in Canada, uh, Alaska border, I think. And America itself has taken over, I think, both uh, continents, both North and South America in this story. Or at least they kind of give that feel. And it's this twisted version of, uh, you know, the the kind of crazy um, TV preacher style of Christianity, the yeah. mixed with like the really, really extreme hell and brimstone of older Church of England kind of yeah, approach. Right. It sets up this figurehead who's the mouthpiece of God and he's laying waste to the country. And if it had stopped there, it would have seemed like something that, uh, you know, I might have read before. But it starts mixing into these fantastical elements, this kind of... I don't want to say magical realism, because that's silly in this format, but uh, more fantasy stuff, more Katsuhiro Otomo stuff, like body horror, Akira stuff is in there. Almost like a Jonathan Hickman level of futuristic deity ideas. Yeah, right. But all in the span of just five issues. Yeah. Which is astonishing. A ton of that gets laid out in issue one. That's nuts. And on top of which, we learn that Little Bird, the titular character, has the power of resurrection. So she keeps coming back. And it's not really explained if that's magic or technology. It's an amazing, mind-bending book. And I'm I'm barely scratching the surface on the number of ideas and the quality of ideas that this book has. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the most ambitious series I've read in in recent memory. The like you're saying, I mean, it's tackling religious extremism. It's simultaneously building like this fantasy world with a lot of rules and structure. It's simultaneously building a political landscape that is integrated with the, you know, sort of a theocracy that has risen. Like there's all these elements that it's building. Um, You know, people talk about world building a ton when they're talking about comics. I think Little World's greatest strength is it does all that stuff, but doesn't doesn't let you see the seams. It yeah. just throws you into that world, but simultaneously begins educating you. And again, because it's five issues and it doesn't have a ton of time, it doesn't. It just doesn't waste any time at all. You know, so it's almost like the story is is hard to pinpoint. It's it's basically a pretty classic like rebellion against the big evil empire. Yeah. You know, if you want to use those terms. Um, but it's so much more complex than that, the way they build this this world and these characters. Like you said, Little Bird, the actual main character, it feels, when you're reading this, it feels like she's dying like every third page. Like, it's like, but then, you know, it's like, is it really happening? Is it a flashback? Um, is she just going to come back because that's her power? How does that work? Like, there's all these questions that they're only engaging and they only sort of um, add to the curiosity and the, like, the 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 fantasy of this world. I think the other thing throughout this is Ian Bertram's art is some of my favorite oh, of yeah. the year. His character designs here, his ability to integrate like these. It's like at once you'll have this very, I don't know, sort of understated conversation about the state of the world, and then all of a sudden there will be you know a huge battle and flamethrowers going everywhere. And like Little Bird, at one point she encounters this character who appears to be human but has like Hulk level like abilities to fight and recover. It's like you just never quite know what you're getting into. Um, the idea of this series being done at five issues 
is both uh saddening and also like i don't know it might be perfect it's that's the thing is like if you do a five issue story and it's perfect there is that temptation to be like well we have to go back but maybe you don't maybe you just do five issues of a nearly perfect thing obviously as a fan i'd like to see more i'd like to see little bird season two or something like that um but i mean i don't i don't know how you make this better in the amount of space that they had well they on issue two i think they changed the title of the book to be something something mm. it's like the freedom of something something colon little bird like so about elders elders hope the fight for elders hope that's it. it is um look at us being prepared uh <laughs> But yeah, they changed the title of it on like issue two, or maybe it was even through like the second printing of issue one. Yeah. So it'll be an interesting thing to see if this becomes kind of a shared universe. Like I would like to see everything end with her tribe at this point, Mm -hmm. but I would also like to see, you know, something overseas. I would like to see what's happening in South America. Yeah, right. Uh, there's, There's so many other things. I would be hesitant to see any history at this point. Like, I was so taken and so captivated by the fact that their way of telling you that North America and South America all belong to one super empire was just a map in one panel on one page. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's such a gorgeous way to do that. I don't want to see them undo it by explaining. But Yeah, and I think of that being very East of West, you know, yeah. the, to, to go back to the Hickman references, obviously. Definitely. Like, you just, you just drop the map and you say, this is the world. Cool. Here's the story. I love that approach. I I do think too, like I'm maybe even understating how smart this book is because image image in particular, they'll drop new fantasy sci-fi books like weekly, you know, like I'm, I'm looking at the previews and every time there's a new number one, I'm going to give it a look at least, but they, they release a ton of like, you know, post-apocalyptic, here's what the world is like. And for something to hook you, it takes a lot if you don't already have creator name recognition. And Little Bird, it like the way it just integrates. I think the religious component to this is really what works because it's modern religion. It's modern mm-hmm. Christianity specifically, and it is like I don't I don't even know how to articulate it. It's fueled and it's like amped up in a way that is at once familiar, but also like you said with Alice, fifteen minutes into the future. Mm-hmm. And I would say in this case, probably even a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because it's so familiar to my own background and just religions that I grew up with and have seen a lot of. Um, it's all stuff that I'm like, oh, like twisting it that way. I never thought about it quite that way as opposed to uh, sort of a trite like, well, theocracy and it, because it, it's so much more complicated than just like sure. just religion is the rule of the day. I Again, I'm not articulating it well because I'm not as smart as the creators who did a good <laughs> job doing that. I think – yeah, I think definitely part of it is this is the right book to land at the right time. Yeah. Just because so much of they do such a good job when they're having their figurehead talk that he sounds like someone you would have already heard, but yeah, it's not an yeah. obvious quote to this public figure or this writer or whoever. So it there's a there's a verisimilitude there that's really good. But on top of which, it's the fact that the book can do that while respecting you enough to only give you bits and pieces and know you'll follow right. along. That I do love. I, I That's something I look for a lot in media across the board. You know, TV shows that don't feel like they need to explain everything to you, that trust you to put some pieces together because we consume a lot of art these days. Everybody has access to a lot of things. And this is what I'm talking about with underestimating new readers. Like, people can put stuff together, have the faith that they'll do that, but then also have the competence and the confidence to give them enough that it's not impossible. 
right. <laughs> you know, because there is a temptation to be like, well, they maybe they didn't quite know what they were going for. So everything's too mysterious. Yeah. Everything's too hard to piece together. And I, I don't think Little Bird is like that. I think it's I think this is the type of book where a reread is very rewarding as opposed to um, as opposed to feeling like sort of a chore and like, well, I've, I read it. I got it. No, I read it and I didn't totally get it. And that's mm. actually good. <laughs> yeah. I like that a lot because it means I want to go back. Definitely. I, I completely agree with that. And I'm this is already kind of on my list for the year of when they released the prestige class uh, trade paperback. I'll definitely be buying immediately. Yeah, no, this is, this is a good one to have on the shelf. So that's our favorite comic of 2019 so far. Like we were saying at the top, there's a lot of good promising stuff to come. I think, uh, you know, we're going to be we're at the end of this year, we're going to be talking about some Hickman X-Men books, whether we whether we have them on here or not, we're going to be talking about them. Um, I'm trying to think what the other, there's been a ton of other stuff announced. Um, I've got a lot of it spinning around in my head, but you know, most of that is superhero as is the want of comic book Herald. So we'll see what else is on the, the more indie image style radar, but I'm sure there'll be a lot of other books that we have to put together in November, December for the time being though. These are the 20 we highly recommend. John, do you have any other thoughts or things you want to get out there before we wrap up? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. Uh, I would definitely recommend picking up Little Bird the first chance you get, because it's probably going to go out of print pretty quickly and then have to go back in. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. And it seems like the type of book that's going to be on a lot of lists this yeah. year. Like, I don't think we're we're too um, too unique in that one. It, it, you know, I think a lot of people are going to want that on their best of list. So, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this has been The Best Comics from Comic Book Herald of 2019 so far. Again, you can find the link in the show notes. I'm Dave Houston. You can find all my stuff at Comic Book Herald on social and, of course, at comicbookherald.com for writing. Uh, we'll be back, I think, here in the coming weeks with probably a deep dive on some Green Lantern by Grant Morrison, uh, if not other topics that we think of in the meantime. So thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, enjoy the comics. Take care, everybody.